one of the challenges of preaching every week is there's a lot of challenges, right? I mean, how do we preach God's Word? How do we understand the passage? How do we communicate? One of the, the ways of communication is through illustrations, right? Uh, coming up with illustrations to kind of explain the text. You know, illustrations, they're, they're there to be used when you have a complicated text or um, a, a, something you're trying to teach, and it's hard. And so you, you bring in an illustration that everybody understands to, to explain it. But sometimes it's hard to come up with good illustrations. Uh, what's funny, what I find amusing, though, is in conversations with people, you know, um, some time from now, people like, you know, years later, like, I remember, I remember that illustration, you know, that you gave, you know, that you gave about your first car, or I remember that illustration, like, on Father's Day, how your dog pooped on your pillow, like, that was so funny, you know, they, they remember these things years down the road, and, um, they don't always remember what, the, what it illustrated, <laughs> but they remember what, they sto- what, what the story was. And I'm the same way. I mean, I'm the same way. I, I look at pastors or sermons that I've heard, and I, I don't remember what the sermon was on, but I remember the illustration, how they got a speeding ticket, getting a pizza, or whatever it was years down the road. That's just, I just find that amusing. I bring that up because today's passage that we're going to study from Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, is an illustration, right? It's Paul who's been making this argument now for about three and a half chapters, and as he's uh, kind of wrapping up these points, he wants to illustrate it. And so that's what he does. And I wonder if people back then, you know, years later would say, Paul, I remember that illustration about the 90-year-old pregnant woman. Amazing. You know, I wonder if people thought that about him or if, uh, if they just kind of forgot the illustration. But nevertheless, we're going to be looking at the illustration, and maybe you'll remember this. Maybe, you, maybe this illustration will help you understand all that Paul has been talking about over these last three chapters. So before we get to that, let me just bring you up to speed. Because if, if it's your first time here, you know, we're going to be preaching an illustration. You need to know what we're illustrating, Right? The book of Galatians is what we've been studying. And in Galatians, it's, a, it's a, a group of churches. It's not just a city, right? It's more like a county. So like the churches of Orange County, so to speak. And Paul is writing to these, this group of churches that he planted. See, many years before that, he was traveling and he got sick. And so he spent some time in this area, these churches in Galatia. And while he's there, he preached the gospel. And as he preached the gospel, people came to Christ. And as people came to Christ, he planted these churches in these different cities. And amazing things were happening. After some time, he he left, and he would communicate with these churches through letters, or he'd send messengers who would uh, help them as they grow in their faith. But as he'd been gone, there were some other people that came in into this area. They were from Jerusalem. They were other Christians, people who had put their faith in Jesus Christ, but they were Jewish, right? So they had a whole history, a whole heritage of following the Sabbath, of following the, 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 the diet laws, of, of following all the, the festivals, all those kinds of things. They had that already, and then they received Christ. They received Jesus, and they just for some of those things, it was consistent. You can be a Christian and still have follow the diet. So it was not a problem. 
But they saw what was happening with these Gentiles. These Gentiles were coming to Christ, and they weren't becoming Jewish. And that troubled them because they thought that that's what a good Christian was. It was someone who received Christ, but yet still followed the Jewish law, right? The law of Moses. And so that's what a good Christian looked like. And they saw these these Gentiles, and they said, they're not doing that. So let's go over there and help them. So they, they helped them. But what they end up doing, they turned this church against Paul. They basically were saying something like this. They said, like, you know, Paul came, he was like the, the good, you know, like the grandparent. He gave the kids, you know, ice cream before the dinner, you know. Gave them ice cream and their dessert, and they didn't have to eat their broccoli and that kind of thing. But here we are, we're the good parents, and we're going to kind of straighten things out. We're going to make you eat your vegetables, right? And so they, they kind of tried to, to change things, and in doing so, they turned the church against Paul. But here was their argument. All right, three things, but listen to the order. Receive Jesus, that's good, okay? Follow the law of Moses, so go back, do the Sabbath, do the festivals, uh, be circumcised, all that, and then you'll receive the blessing. All right, then you'll receive the blessing, or uh, for us, like, easier to think of it, then you'll be saved, then you'll have salvation, okay? So receive Jesus, follow the law, and then the blessing. Where Paul's message was different, his was this, receive Jesus, okay, same, receive salvation, right, and then you follow Jesus, follow Jesus. So just a little different order, but that was the issue. So Paul's writing now to this church saying, you guys, you have to get the order right. It's receive Jesus and you're saved, only Jesus, And as a result, then, because you've been saved, because you have experienced God's grace and his his love has been poured out on you, now follow Jesus. And as you follow Jesus, you will do good works, right? You will serve. You will love your neighbor, right? You'll, You'll minister to other people. You'll see them flourish in life, and you'll just be able to pour your heart out to them. But it comes as a result of of being saved, not in order to be saved. So that's the argument. And now Paul here in verse 21 is going to illustrate it. What you'll see here is an illustration about two mothers, two mothers and therefore two sons, two covenants and two ways to live. Paul is saying that you were, were, you've been saved for freedom, right? You are not a slave. You have been set free. I want you to live according to that. So that's what we'll look at today. But let me just, um, before I start in verse 21, I actually want to skip back two verses to 19. That's where we'll start. We read those last week. All right, the last week when we were here, we read 19 and 20. And just to refresh you, Paul is saying, I feel like I'm a mother giving birth to you. I'm in labor with you for the second time. I already gave birth, and now I'm coming back and trying to uh, give birth again to you. See, he feels like this mother to them, right? And I bring that up because it's important because now in this illustration, it's going to be about two mothers giving birth, okay? So he's going to say, really what he's saying is, who's your mommy, right? You've heard of who's your daddy. His, His thing is, who's your mommy? That's what he wants to illustrate, okay? So let's look at verse 19. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19 
to 31. I'll read it for you. It says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and to change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. Verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by a free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. Okay, so just right there, he's saying, all right, there's two sons born of two women. One who is a slave woman, her name is Hagar, we'll get to that, okay? And the son's name is Ishmael. The other is Sarah, and her son is Isaac, okay? So we got the two, two moms, the two sons. One born of uh, kind of works, one born of a divine promise. He says, these things are to be taken figuratively. The woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. Okay, so... Hagar, in slavery, represents Jerusalem. Uh, present day for Paul, that was the day of Jesus. That's who that represents. And he says, they are in slavery. Now the other one. It says, but the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the, desire, the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son was born according to the flesh, persecuted the son born in the power of the Spirit. It's the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave's woman will never share in the inheritance from the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Okay, did you get all that? It's a lot of argument, a lot going on here, but we're going to work through this, all right? I'm going to go back to Genesis. We'll look at some of the original story, and we'll look through this. But just keep this in mind. We have two women, two covenants, two ways to live, all right? For those of you who are in Christ what Paul wants you to know, if you're in Christ, you are a child of Sarah. And if you're a child of Sarah, you belong to the heavenly Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that's above. You enter there by faith and you live by faith. Okay? Not by works. So let's look at it. Here's what we got. Two mothers. One is a slave. The other is free. So for some context, where is, if you want to read more about this, you can go back to Genesis. Genesis 12, maybe 15 and 16, and right in there is going to be a lot of the story. But if we go back to the beginning where we first met Abram, Abraham, Abram, Sarah, Sarai, all the same people, just a name change in there. But if you go back to Genesis 12, it's where Abram and Sarai are just, they're kind of doing their life, right? They're not in Jerusalem. They're not anywhere near the promised land. They're in a land far away. But God speaks to them. And here's 
what he says. He says, Abram, go from this country, from your people, from your father's household and land, right? That I'm going to take you to a new place. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. To those who bless you, I'll bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. Okay? I'll, uh, he says, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then it tells what Abram did. He got up, and he got his family, and he got his, his nephew Lot. They went to the promised land. And they weren't just, it wasn't a vacation. I mean, they were leaving. They moved. They moved there. And he went to the promised land. And then God says, this promised land, this land that you're on, I'm going to give it to you, to you and your offspring. To you and your offspring. That's great. But what's the problem here? Right? Abram is 75 years old. Sarah, 65. They don't have any kids. They don't have any kids. So when God says, I'm going to give you this land, that's great. It's going to give to your offspring. Okay, how's that going to work? All right, there's some options. Okay, option one, his nephew, Lot. All right, while he's, he's just a nephew, uh, he's with him. He basically, he's his father now. He could, you know, maybe some adoption, sign some papers. He could be uh, the, the heir. So maybe that's an option. Uh, two, if not that, his, his servant, Eleazar. We don't hear a lot about different servants, but we know Eleazar. He's, he's got a great place in this whole story. And the custom would be is if Abram dies with no heir, that it would go to the, the main servant, the head servant, which would be Eleazar. Eleazar, that's his chance. He can, he can be free now, and he gets all the wealth of his master. So Eleazar is probably like hoping for that one. Yes, <laughs> no kids, nobody else. It'll follow me. That's what he would like. But there's a third option. And that could be a surrogate, right? Um, we don't have, they didn't have all the, mans, the fancy uh, medical procedures that we have now. So what that would be is just um, uh, Abraham takes one of the slaves, uh, uh, Sarah's servants, and sleeps with her. They have a baby, and then that baby is given to Sarah, and that's the heir. So we've got three options, right? All of them may be okay. But as the story progresses, we see that Lot, doesn't, he doesn't want to be with, with his uncle. He wants to go out on his own. So he, he kind of does his own thing. Abram saves him a few times, gets him out of some trouble, but he's on his own. So that option is off the table. Uh, then in Genesis 15, uh, God is speaking to Abram again, and Abram says, like, okay, what about Eleazar? Like, he's, he's my, the head servant here in, in the family. Is it going to go to him? And God says, no, 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 it's going to come from your own flesh and blood. Okay, so Eliezer's off the table. Sorry, Eliezer, you're a good guy. You do great work, but that's um, not going to go to you. So for then 10 years, Abraham and Sarah, they try. But she's 65 years old. Like, this is like, I mean, is it possible? Ah, maybe, but that's it's very unlikely. But Abraham had faith. He put his faith in God. God says it's going to come through your own flesh and blood. Let's try. But after 10 years, it didn't happen. So now Sarah's 75. And she's like, Abram, this isn't going to work. So here, here's Hagar. Here's my servant. Uh, sleep with her. Have a child through her, and that will be our heir. Okay? You see what they're doing? They, they gave God a shot. But then it didn't, when he didn't, you know, when it didn't happen, they said, all right, now let's go to work. Let's figure this out. You know, let's put our brains together. Here's the best situation. Uh, probably legal. It was the custom, but it wasn't God's desire. That wasn't God's desire. 
they have a child, Ishmael. He's born, and that's when all the chaos starts, and you can read that in the story. But 13 years go by. So Ishmael's 13 years old now, and, um, and then God appears again to Abram and to Sarah and says, this is how it's going to happen. Now it's going to happen. Okay, now we're going to make this thing happen. So um, in a year from now, Sarah, now you're going to have a baby. Um, Sarah laughs. She's 89, 90 years old, right? And she laughs. This is like, Lord, you are way too late for this. Like, this body is not going to have a baby. And that's when, when the angel says, but is there anything that's impossible for God? Is there anything impossible? When she was 65, Maybe you'd say that's impossible. Maybe you say, hey, she's in good shape. She ate good food, you know. Maybe it's possible. But when you're 90, it, it, game over, right? It's not going to happen. Right? If a 90-year-old woman walks into a, a maternity ward in the hospital, no doctor or nurse is going to say, are you here to visit a grandson or are you here to give birth? Right? <laughs> it's, it's like, you have a grandson you want to visit, let me take you. They would never think about this 90-year-old having a baby, but Here's what happens. So a year later, she has a baby. The baby's born. Isaac, healthy young boy. Three years later, the baby's weaned, and uh, there's a celebration, and we're told that Ishmael mocked uh, Isaac. We don't know what he did, what it was, but it was deeply offensive to Sarah. And so Sarah said, we got to get rid of him and get rid of the slave. And uh, you could imagine the turmoil. I mean, now he's, he's a teenager. Right? But God says, that's okay. You can let them go. I will take care of them. I will make them into a great nation. But what he's saying is they're they not going to be part of the promise. The promise, the blessing is coming through Sarah's child. And so that's a little bit of the story that he's unfolding. And you see these two mothers giving birth. One, literally a slave, right, who had this child who they tried to work it out. Abraham and Sarah, they tried to work it out. Let's, how can we make this thing happen? And that was the result. But God said, that's not where the blessing's going to come from. Because I'm the God of faith. I'm the God who does the impossible. I take my time. At the right time, it will happen. And it happened with Sarah. That was a story of faith. That was a story of God doing the miraculous. And that's where the blessing would come from. So when Paul is starting to set up the story, as he's looking at Galatians, these, these Gentiles are saying, all right, who's, who's, who's our mom? What's our lineage? He's saying, you're not with Hagar, you are with Sarah, which is a mind-blowing thing. Because really, up till now, the Jews, they were the line of Sarah. That was the bloodline. That was their heritage. The, the line of Ishmael was, was not Jewish. I mean, that's even to this day, that's where the um, Islamic nations would say that was their father. Okay? That goes back to Ishmael through Abraham. So what Paul is doing is, is kind of mixing the blood now with the spiritual. He's saying, I know that your bloodline, you might be through Ishmael, you might be through whoever. But as we're looking at your spiritual home, is your spiritual family, that comes through Sarah. That's your mother, okay? So that's the mom. Now the covenants. 
He starts in verse 24, and he says uh, these things are to be taken figuratively, right? These women, these two women represents the two covenants, okay? One is the covenant of Mount Sinai. What happened in Mount Sinai? Right? That's where the law was given, right? Where the, the law of Moses was given there. So one is a covenant of Mount Sinai. That's Hagar. Okay, that's, okay, that's interesting. But Hagar's the one where that's where the law is. She, and and, and that's, that's one. So that the, the law, and he's going to say that that's the one that enslaves you. That's the one that brings slavery. Trying to always keep up with the law. Always trying to follow the law, which you're going to fail again and again. It's slavery. But that's the one covenant. The other one is from the heaven above. From Jerusalem above. From Sarah. And that quote that he, he uses from Isaiah 54. It says, be glad, barren woman. What barren woman would be glad? Right? He says, you who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud that you are never in labor. Like you read that and like that doesn't make sense. But that represents Sarah and it's what it's saying is, Sarah, you are going to have this whole family that you didn't give birth to. All these Gentiles that come down the road. That's all part of your family. Be glad, rejoice. But he's saying this language figuratively i'm giving you an illustration there's different translations if you have a different bible there's different nomenclature on what that word is figurative or allegory or illustration typology all that kind of stuff but here's here's the problem that sometimes that if you've learned if you're an english major or whatever you know about you know um, some of these things like allegory it's usually a made-up story right kind of a made-up story to illustrate something in life right all these fairy tales and things like that. Um, some of us would think, oh, it's just that, that this whole story, that, that's what it is. It's the made-up story. But it's not, right? This whole Sarah story and Hagar, they're real stories, right, that he is using to illustrate this. But some of us, we'd be confused with that. But here's, um, for those of you who want to go a little bit deeper on this, uh, there's a, a guy, um, a theologian, Matthew Emerson, he wrote this. It says, It appears then that when Paul in Galatians 4, 21-31 was not arbitrarily allegorizing or even reverting to an atextual typology, he, but he was reading the Pentateuch carefully and applying it to his reader's situation in Galatia. So when he uses the term allegory, it's not to indicate that he's moving from a textual reading to one that ignores the Pentateuch's plain sense but only to note that he's expounding on the full sense and interconnectedness of these related passages. So, what that means. He's not making this up. He's not pulling it out of the air. He's carefully reading the Old Testament scriptures, and he's connecting dots, and he's filling it in. What he knows so far about grace, what he knows about what Jesus did, how he's reading the Old Testament, he says it's, it's clear here says there's these two covenants. The covenant of the works, it enslaves you. But the covenant of faith, it sets you free. So don't follow what Hagar did. Don't follow that covenant. All right? Because that will just, it'll bind you up. All right? Nothing good is going to come from that. Instead, you follow the covenant of Sarah. 
the one that frees you. So when we look at this whole story, you see these two women, you see these two covenants, right? Um, the one thing he, t- he mentions, though, is he mentions this Jerusalem above, which is important, too. What is the Jerusalem above? Okay, there's the Jerusalem, you know, the city, but there's this, he mentions that Sarah is from this Jerusalem above, and we know that as the, the heavens, right? When you flip forward and you read in Revelation, Right When you go there and you know that in the end time, the, 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 this heavenly city, Jerusalem, will come down and come down to earth. I mean, that's what he's talking about. That's the eternal home. For those of you who are in Christ, that's, that's your home. And that's where Sarah is. That's the home of faith. And that's where you reside. So if you are in Christ, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, if you are in Christ, that's your home. Okay? That's your lineage, and you are set for freedom. So the last thing, we see the two women, we see the two covenants, and we see the two ways to live. Now, do we live through works, or do we live by faith? Works or faith. The Judaizers, who were there in Galatia, which this is the story of, they were saying, you got to work for it, right? you got to put in the effort, all right? Following the Sabbath is not easy. Following the, the diet is not easy. You've got to work for it. And if you work for it, if you show yourself faithful, then you will be blessed. And I think that's the kind of mentality that is, it filters into the church. It really is. It's in here if we look at it. Many of us, we operate that way. We operate that way because we had good parents. Good parents that loved us and good parents who taught us a work ethic right? Didn't they? They said, there's nothing comes for free, right? You got to earn it, right? You get up early, you stay up late, you know, work for it, for school, for homework, for all these things. We have a good, strong work ethic. You want to impress your teachers, you want to impress your boss, you work hard, okay? That, that's our story in life, and hopefully all the kids, they have gotten that good work ethic. Hopefully we've taught them that, okay? The problem is that's life, But many of us take that unintentionally, but we take that and we put it into our religion or into our faith. We say, if our mom, if our teachers, if our boss are impressed by hard work, then God's got to be impressed. So I'm going to work for it. I'm going to show show him that I'm I'm worth a draft pick. I'm going to show him that I really have put forth the effort. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to serve and I'm going to do all the things that I'm supposed to do because I'm going to work hard for it. And so many of us, we have that as our background. Maybe we're still there. We think that we've got to continue to impress God, show him that we're serious, show him that we mean it. We say things like this. We say like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just working hard for the Lord. We all say that, working hard for the Lord, Right? Got so much to do for him, you know, uh, this Mexico trip. We're going to go out there. We're going to work for the Lord and, and build homes. But I have a problem with that. Because when you work hard for the Lord, then it's like, what is the Lord going to do for me? How is he going to bless me? Whether finances or friends or influence or long health. But when any of those things fall apart, we're, we get mad. Lord, I did all this for you, and you're not keeping your end of the the bargain. You're not giving me the paycheck. 
that's not how we operate, but that's the, the way that it, this stuff filters into our church, filters into this, like, religion, right? Religion in general says that God and salvation are for the good and deserving, and we work hard to be good and deserving. But that's the way of the works. That's the way of Hagar. That's the way that enslaves. Instead, we are to live by faith, right? We realize that there's nothing we can do to earn the salvation. There's not, not all the good works in the world can't save us. And so we've got to enter another way, and that is through Sarah. That's through our faith. That's putting our faith in what Jesus did, on the work that he did on the cross for us. We put our faith in him and trust him. But that's all that needs to happen. We put our faith in him and we receive salvation. And then we start this journey of following Jesus. Following him and just loving him and serving him and knowing him. And enjoying him. Being his child. Having God as our father. Looking forward to this future in heaven. I mean, we are the children of the promise. And that's what Paul had been talking about so far in these first three chapters. He says that you are part of the blessing. You're the loved child with an inheritance. You have this near and loving father, this Abba father, right? You are known by God and you know him. That Christ is being formed in you. You're eternally blessed. These are the things that he said because of faith. This is what's happening already. So he says you are part of that promise through faith. Live in it. But he also has one last warning. He says, be ready for persecution. Be ready for persecution. Remember, like I told you, when Isaac was three and he was, um, he, he was being mocked by Ishmael, he says, that's what you're going to expect. That's what's happening here in, in these churches in Galatia. You're being persecuted. When we think about persecution, we think of those who are not, don't have anything to do with Jesus, right? Those out, completely outside of the faith, right? And there, that is a persecution, right? But here, it's internal. It's inside the church. It's a persecution that's happening within. John Stott, uh, an author, pastor, says this. He says, persecution of the true church is often by our half-brothers, religious people, the nominal church, the greatest enemies of evangelical faith today are not unbelievers, but the church, the establishment, the religious. Because there's a lot of religious people that are still operating by works. We'll, we'll call them uh, like legalists, you know, legalism, things like that. There's people like that in the church. And they're, the one thing that they have a hard time with is grace. They can't get their handle or, or their heads around grace. Because they're working hard for it. They're trying to earn their salvation. And then you see other people that are living by grace that are just saying, I have already got it. I'm so blessed. And they're like, you're not working hard enough. You're not doing enough for the Lord. And persecution starts rolling in. And it might be subtle. But it, like this that happened in Galatia, it was severe. They're threatened by this. They become insecure. And it's easier for them just to hold on and just keep doing more than to let go and to understand grace. 
I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we, you're saved and then you just don't do anything. You know, you just sit there and, you know, just go on a cruise or whatever and don't do anything. Like, there's a lot to do. Following Jesus is not easy, right? You've talked about this. Take my yoke upon you. Follow me. It's not easy. But the motivation is what's different. We don't do it in order to work hard to please God to get the paycheck. We do it because we've already been given the blessing. We've already been given the salvation. And what? now I just want to serve my Lord. I want to love him. I want to walk with him. I want to know him. I want others to know him. I want to live out the commands and be obedient to him. The, the, the event could look the same. But the motivation is what is different. But learning how to live by faith. He says, if you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to understand, who is your mom? Sarah. You come through faith. You live in that faith. And we'll die in that faith. We serve him always. Now, faith is there. It's the gift from God. There will be times where you're tempted to go back and to the other side, to, to follow into Hagar's footsteps, to work for things. It's hard to wait for the Lord, hard to trust him. But the righteous will live by faith. So, how do we apply these things? Be careful for our language, and that's how we think about things. You know, uh, I work for the Lord, or I just serve the Lord. Just my joy. Just a joy. It's a response Right? Let's be aware of that. Let's really work on faith. How we live by faith. We know how to do the works. We, we've got that. But as we grow in Christ, how do we live by faith? How do we trust him each and every day? How do we look forward to those things that we don't see? That we can't see with our own eyes. We can't feel. We can't touch. But they're promised in here. They're talked about in here. And how do we live by faith? Let's stretch ourselves in that. And let's also, let's learn to wait on the Lord. Just wait on the Lord. I mean, that was the issue with Abraham and Sarah. They just didn't want to wait any longer. The Lord usually moves a lot slower than we want to move. Sometimes we want to be slow and the Lord speeds it up, right? But we've got to learn just to wait and have faith. So how does this fit us at Ambassador Church? Um, remember he said that you, as part of Sarah, you are from the heavenly kingdom. You're from the heavenly Jerusalem. I mean, that's our home. We're children of heaven. We're children of the kingdom of God. He says that that's kind of your mother country, right, so to speak, to use this language with Sarah. That's your mother country. For our mother country, we got to learn the language. we got to learn the culture. we got to learn the laws. And that's the joy of learning this about heaven, learning the language of heaven, right? How we speak, how we live out these values. What's the law in heaven? The law of grace, of faith, of love, mercy. And stretching ourselves to speak that language, to speak that language of love day in, day out, wherever God puts us so we can represent this kingdom, this kingdom of God. So for us, how do we take these things all together? It's important to remember who our heritage is from. But our heritage is based on faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. 
That was Paul's message. That's been his message up to here. He's concluding it with this illustration. He will continue now to kind of flesh that out, what that looks like, how we live in faith, the fruits of the Spirit, things like that. We'll get that to that shortly. But I hope that this has been helpful. And I hope that now as you think about Paul, you think about him. He's the one that made the illustration about the 90-year-old pregnant woman. What a great story. How that helps me understand that we are children of faith.